the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Today's interview is with Ohio Representative Tom Patton, who serves the 7th District here in the greater Cleveland area. Tom has been a longtime friend of our industry and a listening ear and advocate on behalf of quality contractors and the skilled men and women who perform work in our industry. So without further ado, I give you my interview with Representative Tom Patton. Good morning, Representative Patton. Good morning, Tim. Hey, how are you? good, good. How are you doing? Well, like everybody just uh, dealing with the, the COVID situation, wearing my mask where I'm supposed to. Yeah, I imagine... Down at the state house, you guys are are pretty busy. It's uh, obviously it's um, it's a uh, difficult time with the uh, scandal that was um, uh, announced a few weeks ago now, and uh, the audacity of uh, the characters involved in that uh, go beyond my imagination. It's, um, uh, but you know, I like to tell people the system works enough people. You know, in our in our party, kind of new things are going around. They hmm. obviously went to the appropriate people, and they began an investigation that went for a long period of time. You know, and hmm. I mean, they made sure they got it all, and, uh, and I guess they have enough evidence. And uh, just looking at the indictment page uh, and some of the things said on the indictment page, there's just no. You know, you can't pretend that's not you. You can't pretend that's not what you said. And so, uh, but again, you know, I always say that, uh, you know, the institution, you know, just like the Catholic Church, when a priest offends one guy, he's a bad guy. And they, you know, if we got a guy locked up in jail nine months now, and he has been able to get bonded out, Mm -hmm. which is fine, you know, but the church washed his hands of it. They just, they're not helping the guy and and nor should they. And, uh, it's just, you know, I always say the Catholic Church is bigger than one, one priest, one guy. And just like the state house and the House of Representatives is bigger than more than one guy. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, we swiftly moved to uh, to uh, remove him from his speakership. Mm-hmm. Uh, house rules, believe it or not, prohibit you from punishing the same guy twice for the same incident. So we have to wait for him to actually be... Um, found guilty, and again, I, I should give the, the disclaimer, everybody's innocent until proven guilty, but yes, uh, it would it would take, uh, you know, a heck of a lawyer to get him out of this jackpot, but, uh, and the other guys that were his accomplices in this. So, you know, but we swiftly moved to take him out. He's still a state rep until such time as he's convicted, you know, then he's automatically expelled. Uh, but we, we moved in, we, we, uh, we picked um, uh, a former Supreme Court Justice Bob Cup, mm-hmm. who had been in the Senate before he became a, uh, a chief ju- uh, a Supreme Court judge, and he uh, he had um, been served in the Senate in leadership. So he's been in the leadership room. I've been in the leadership room, and candidly, that a lot of big, big decisions made in that small room. And uh, so he's got that experience. He's also got just an air about him that's very statesmanlike and very calm. Yeah, you know, methodical. And I think that you know he's just put the doctor order to get this, uh, this you know, this cart back on the the wheels back on the track, so to speak. And uh, um, and I, I was, you know, he had to take himself off the finance committee, and uh, 
now that he's speaker, and I was uh, honored that he chose me to be the guy to replace him on oh, finance, wow. which was many I've always served on, and up to this last uh, uh, general assembly. So I'm delighted to be back. Yeah, that's great. So uh, just uh, touching on that a little bit, House Bill Six that uh, you know the scandal was generated from. Do you support that policy? The governor said he supports the policy, but he wants it repealed and replaced. How do you stand on that? Well, you have to repeal. I co-sponsored a bill to repeal it. Um, yet, uh, you know, the bill itself, remember that they may have spent $61 million tainted dollars, you know, to uh, stain the bill and the House side, but the Senate didn't get a nickel. They passed the very same bill without any changes. The mm-hmm. governor signed the bill without hesitation. There are some things in that bill that people don't realize. So it's going to be 85 cents a month charge for seven years. Mm-hmm. That replaces like the $7 a month charge that we've been paying, many people that I've known it, have uh, been paying to subsidize wind and solar. Uh, and we've been doing that for many years. And I, you know, I support green energy in any form, you know, but the greenest energy is the, uh, uh, is the nuclears. That's the ultimate green energy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some years, about four years, actually, this bill came up four years ago. I supported it then, didn't move then. Right. Uh, and it got snagged when it was House Bill, I think, 179. And uh, uh, you know, when when you take a look at a letter that received from former governor of Texas, Rick Perry was the energy secretary, they sent it to everybody on the Public Utilities Committee. And what he stressed strongly was that you must have a diversified portfolio. He didn't push nuclear. He didn't push coal. He didn't push natural gas or wind or solar or anything. He just said, make sure it's diversified. Well, right now, uh, if the nuclear shut down, we have less than 2% is wind and solar. You know, we had mm-hmm. 20, I think I've heard different numbers, 24, 27% of electricity was being funneled by the, created by the nuclears. And the rest was from that cheap natural gas. And nobody is more excited except for probably the, the, the farmers in, in southeast Ohio when they discovered they're sitting on the Utica Shale. Yeah. And they're all driving around Cadillac Escalades. God bless them. They all became Jed Clampets overnight. <laughs> and and, that, and that's, a, that's a good thing. I, I, I say it with a smile, but it really is. And so my, my question is this to anybody that asked. I said, if nuclear go away and all you have is a little bit of wind and solar, very little bit of wind and solar, so all you have left is cheap natural gas, how long does this take cheap? Yeah. So right. the electricity is being is being generated, you know, through you know natural gas at those plants that formerly used coal or coal, which is now gone with the wind. So you know, if suddenly people see their electric bills going up fourteen percent, you know, eighteen percent, twelve percent, almost every year because there's no other competition mm-hmm. out there. I think it's it was critical on that, and I think that's what the governor meant. You know. The governor supported it, you know, and I think he uh, uh, he realized that there was a lot of good stuff in the bill. But because of the $61 million kink, so to speak, you yeah. just got to start all over again. And it's a shame, you know, um, it's kind of like undoing a, a quadruple knot, you know, when you have to go back to all the things that took place since then. And right. I received people say, well, when they knew this was happening, the investigators in the case, why didn't they come forward before the vote was taken? And uh, But I think that they needed to see the vote taken. I think they needed to see who who would benefit, how they would benefit. And yeah. so, uh, but again, the, you know, I 
we we absolutely that's why I said co sponsor bill to repeal it, but we have to just as quickly replace it with something similar because again, the diversified portfolio is in the long run gonna save money. And believe it or not, the people of Ohio have already saved two point nine billion with a B, two point nine billion dollars because we did away with that uh, the wind and solar surcharge that nobody ever knew what they were paying, mm. you know. And as they say, you know, we want to have green energy, but wind and solar has been around a while. At some point, you got to take the training wheels off the bicycle. Yeah, where was that money bike. going? Where did that money go? It was going to promote to, to, to the because wind and solar is not price competitive. It, right. it hasn't been yet, and especially in the state of Ohio, where we are not a windy state. Which I used to at one point took some you know, uh, some concern over because I thought, hey, I've stood on East 9th and Lakeside on a windy day that I thought was going to blow me to Akron. <laughs> but one of my colleagues in the Senate, Senator uh, Bill Coley, is a, he has his own plane. He's an attorney. He used to fly into Burke. He gave me these charts and graphs. He goes, take a look at these. And it was candidly, it was looking like hieroglyphics. And I said, okay, I give. Mm-hmm. He goes, that's wind's loft. Wind's loft at 1,200 feet, you know, 800 feet, 600 feet, you know, and all the way down. And I said, so what did they show you? He goes, you got wind about eight days a year. Mm. Just for the most part, you're really not a windy state. And consequently, you know, and you drive by the few, you know, um, wind turbines that you see. One's by the Science and one's down uh, by uh, 260th in the shoreway. And there's one on by 40 that I never see move. Yeah. Uh, it's by bridge and 480. That's always, almost always just standing still. I don't even know if it works. You know, and those subsidies that were going to these people, uh, you know, if you if you ask people, say, are you willing to pay more for clean energy? They'll all say yes. Right. I mean, that, I mean, a significant number of people say, oh, I'd say yes, but I'd ask how much more. Mm-hmm. You know, some people say more. Of those they'll say, okay, I'll pay, I'll pay, uh, you know, two dollars more a month, or I'll pay a hundred dollars a month, depending on the individual. Right. So, uh, and we still allow in that house bill six, we still allow people to select that type of green energy and pay more for it. You know, so um, it was not a bad bill. Yeah. Handedly, I think that company A, as it's described in the, uh, uh, in the indictment, you know, I think they overpaid. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, when they went over to the Senate, you know, just on merit alone, it passed. And the governor and his people looking at the bill quickly signed it because they signed it on merit alone. Yeah, I, I don't understand how a company as large as First Energy, as sophisticated as them, gets a, a, a contribution that big has to be all the way to the top within the company, you know, reviewed by attorneys and so forth. How do all those people make this mistake? Uh, you know, I, I, again, I stand on that one. I, I, I read where during a, during a uh, report, the CEO said that only 25% of that money was given by First Energy. So I think they got to oh. dig a little deeper to see uh, who else gave that money. Oh. And those 501c4 accounts, which I don't know much about the dark money accounts because it really doesn't usually play at the local state level. It's more of a federal issue, I think. But, yeah. uh, you know, these people, whether it's, you know, George Soros or, or Bill Gates or those other guys that give incredible sums of money, these 501c4, you never know it. Until yeah, Koch brothers, guys like that. Yeah, exactly. The Koch brothers is in that same group, you know. And uh, um, the Supreme Court allowed this to take place, and so you know, First Energy, believe it or not, legally might not have done it. I'm 
I'm hearing from some of my colleagues that are attorneys, they might, they might not have done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And they just, they're, they provided some funding for a program that was, you know, destined to try to help them reach their end goal. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, uh, just on a massive scale, right. regardless of only, you know, 25% of it, still an awful lot of, you know, uh, money going into the cause. But, uh, uh, but again, it's, it's, I think, their frustration was the fact that there really was some good policy out there. Mm-hmm. The General Assembly, like I said, with that other House bill that I was supportive of two years before, you know, this current speaker had come into power. You know, I like defense, you know, but, yeah. you know, the, uh, the wind and solar people, you know, they didn't want to give up that $7 a month. You know, they didn't want yeah. to give up just the, and they fought and they made, you know, the Sierra Club and all the other folks call and people say, hey, we're going to, you know, this is dirty. We have dirty air and this, that, and the other. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it, it's a powerful lobby. Sure. But, you know, when you take a look at the economics of it, you know, start thinking in terms of your, your electric bill just jumping precipitously, you know, over yeah. the years. Because, again, they're a monopoly. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, coal's not coming back. Coal can't compete with cheap natural gas. Right. You know, and so the coal mines are shut down. And again, wind is so we, as I started to say, we're not a windy state, and we're actually referred to as a partly cloudy state. Where solar works is in sunny states, Arizona, Florida, and even some partly sunny states. But when we graduate to partly cloudy, again, the return on investment isn't as, as what, what you would need to be. Well, as a you transplant, I'm, I'm from Oklahoma City, um, where I grew up, and as a transplant, I can tell you there are a lot sunnier states out there. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you, you, you could tell firsthand. I mean, yeah. the beginning of the week, when we had just, you know, nothing but continue to rain Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. The sun wasn't shining in those six-day stretch we just we just came through. So, you know, it, it's Cleveland. I've lived here my whole life. I wouldn't live anywhere else, yeah. you know. And, uh, but, you know, there's certain realities. And there's certain tough decisions. You know, you're, you're picking, not that you're picking winners and losers, but we have to challenge ourselves to come up with better ways come up with uh, the green energy. I mean, I have a uh, constituent got this anaerobic digestion. Mm-hmm. What they're able to do is literally take sewage, you know, uh, and instead of incinerating, they separate the liquid solids and they incinerate the solids, but they're taking the solids, they're converting it to natural gas. Mm-hmm. They have one plant over in Collinwood. They'll take the garbage from a Browns football game. There might be 14 tons of garbage. Yeah. They charge the Browns 36 bucks a ton, something like that, 36, 37. And that they're Collinwood yard that they have this plant and they create this electricity in their case it could be electricity could be natural gas could be wet gas and they funnel it over to cleveland public power right around the corner and that's part of cleveland public power's green initiative and i'm Mm -hmm. thinking to myself you know if you're using sewage you know i I always say the sun doesn't always shine and the wind doesn't always blow but you know (laughs) i'll just yeah hang out there, you know, just people can figure it out. <laughs> and that's never going to be a, a shortage of supply. Yeah. And uh, so, and that's uh, in Germany, uh, it's it's very widely used. And so yeah. just now, uh, Quasar Energy is the name of the company, and it's just, uh, uh, they've got plants in New York, some other states, and, you know, they, uh, it's just a, a very quiet, but it's a very, um, I think a growing, you know, nobody really likes to, talk about that kind of energy it's kind of a you know a tough subject to dance around but it's mm-hmm. you know it, it is what it is and you got to take a look at those types of alternatives or things that are still to come 
Yeah. Who would have thought 20 years ago, the electric cars and the hybrid cars, you know, automobiles. Now they come up with electric trucks, you know, and things like that. Right. So, you know, technology is a way of advancing and we just have to, you know, make sure we, we encourage it where it needs to be encouraged. We support it where it needs to be supported. And uh, we get out of the way, which is the most important thing government could do is right. let people to do their own thing. So I want to ask you a little bit about your background and, and, and how you think as a legislator. You've been in office since 2003, is that right? Yes, sir. I did six years in the House. I was eight years in the Senate where I was the majority leader the last six years in that. And then I came back in the House in uh, 2017 uh, till now. In the first two years, I was back in leadership. And uh, right. uh, I did support and vote for this current speaker. And uh, currently, I was you know, kind of like in the doghouse, but uh, during the week of that indictment, all the stories were coming out. I said the doghouse felt like the penthouse. <laughs> yeah, so, I'd imagine. I that with any kind of uh, vindication thing, because I even, I didn't vote for him because I thought that he was going to get embroiled. I just voted for him because I thought we had a better guy. Yeah. And we, the, the guy that I supported actually had 37 votes in the Republican caucus, and uh, Mr. Household had 26, and they, they broke a 120-year tradition and even the former minority leader, Fred Strayhorn, a gentleman out of uh, the Dayton area, who I served with in the House to send it back. So we've we've served together a long time. He came out and criticized. He goes, hey, look in the mirror. He said, we gave them, you know, we, not he wasn't one of them. He goes, we gave them 26 votes to get Mr. Household to 52. Mm-hmm. You know, but the majority of Republicans wanted Ryan Smith. And we've always let the majority pick. Just like, I guess, if we turn around and there's 61 votes, if we didn't like their minority leader you know, or the minority leadership team, you know, with six to one votes, we could replace them with yeah. who we think the leadership team. That wouldn't be right. right. You know, it's feasible as possible, I guess, but you know, it would be, but that's exactly what happened. Yeah. 20 Democrats. And that was reported in the paper. So it's not, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it, it was you know, widely it, known. Yeah. And so it was, uh, it, it was the only way he was going to get to be speaker. And clearly he had, uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of money to support his, his run for speaker and uh that's what's always the, that's what's playing out in the newspapers now but mm-hmm. uh so yeah i you know i you know came back so this is now i'm finishing up my 18th year in columbus and uh which um you know given the era of term limits you know you're term limited to your particular office and so you know there's there's a handful of us that have gone from one chamber to the other right and, and in some cases back you know i've got guys like scott oschlager and kurt Schering who've been down there about 30 or 40 years. I mean, they just, you know, they, they're both in the Youngstown area and they are Canton area, excuse me. And they just kind of keep switching seats. Yeah. Uh, every eight years, they, they pass the town and they go to the other's chambers. And, you know, it's not so bad, you know, because institutional memory, you know, it's like a lot of your, your members, you know, um, they value some of the, uh, experience that some of their more veteran employees have. You know, Absolutely. They've seen this particular issue on the job. They've come across this particular challenge on the job. They're not scratched or thinking, what do I do next? They say, well, about you know, eight years ago, we had this at Project ABC or whatever. And so, uh, you know, so, you know, experience isn't a bad thing. And I always tell people, you know, term limits have been around forever. It used to be called Election Day. Yeah. You know, if, you had, if you had a great cardiothoracic, surgery at the Cleveland Clinic, and they have many, by the way. Right. But one particular guy also looked up one day and said, oh my gosh, you've been here eight years, you've got to go. 
<laughs> right. His career. Make room. You know? yeah. yeah. Who wants to sign yeah. up for that? Yeah. But, you know, on the same token, you know, you see this other type of crisis with Mr. Householder and, mm-hmm. and what happened. And then you, uh, uh, but again, he had been gone since 2004. He didn't mm-hmm. show his face back in Columbus until 2017. In those two years, 17 and 18, he was just already running for speaker. He, yeah. he didn't go to committee meetings much at all. Uh, he didn't go to caucus much at all. He had an office across the street from the state house where he was entertaining his candidates for the 21 seats he was able to fill, you know, some of the coffers that he was able to um, create. Right. And uh, he was taking some other younger, you know, representatives over there trying to, you know, convince them that this was going to be the team. And uh, uh, that's how he came up with 26. And, um, but, you know, so you see, well, you know, money can influence, but, you know, he, you know, he is a, a, a again, going back to the, the perfect example of the, in the world that we live in, you know, that type of spending, that type of money being thrown around attracts a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. And so understand, but so, uh, it was uncovered, it was investigated. And now all parties that were involved in that, there was lobbyists involved in that. Sure. There was, you know, a former party chairman was involved in that. who we actually have become a lobbyist himself. So, mm-hmm. but so far the only legislator indicted, you know, was the speaker himself. So, uh, it's just amazing to me going back to that, that, um, for one, there's a big question mark out there with the prior speaker, Rosenberger. What, what happened to him? You know, I think that, you know, and, uh, he was a youthful guy. And, uh, since I first two years, I went back over there, Bill Sykes, another veteran guy from Cincinnati. And, uh, he immediately put us on the leadership team, but his whole, even his whole staff is a bunch of young people. Mm-hmm. The one thing I Mr. Hustle was great. He brought together a very veteran staff of people that knew how to run government, knew how to run the house. Right. Uh, and he, I, I, I hope that the new speaker, will continue with that staff because it was no longer like playtime with the kitties. I, mm. I just thought I must be getting older. Cause it seems like all these aides to the speaker are all a bunch of just younger people, but yeah. you know, it's in, and that's the defending wrong youth shall be served. But you know, he, uh, uh, you know, he took some trips, you know, that he didn't report necessarily. And, uh, you know, and it was some from like the payday loan lending industry and things like that. So where they had legislation pending, that some of the legislation was being kind of stalled. Uh, however, one of the first things Ryan Smith did when he took over after Rosenberg resigned was to pass the payday lending legislation that apparently, you know, if one were to speculate, was being stalled. You know, but, you know, it was like, you know, he took trips and, you know, it's, he loved to travel. I mean, I, I, yeah. I noticed that, but most of the travel he did was to conferences that he was allowed to go to. I mean, he was picked, right. you know, he, you know he, he was picked up by either the, the organization that sponsored the conference or the state would allow him to pick it up. Yeah. They would, you know, so these are things as a speaker, he had to talk to the speaker from Massachusetts, the speaker from Florida, you know, sure. one on in your state. So that I know he, he, he really enjoyed doing, but it was those extracurricular trips that got him in trouble. But, you know, clearly, you know, and I, I I would think that at this late date, if you really thought something was criminal, I mean, as compared to what he was really probably guilty of is just not reporting the trips on his ethics form. Yeah. No, and, you know, an ethics form is something you can, uh, you know, you can redo or mm-hmm. you can amend. 
I should say. And so maybe they're just going to, I think, you know, he got out pretty quick. Once they came in and started looking around, he was quick to get out. Yeah. And uh, compared to the current speaker who wouldn't get out, we literally had to vote him out. Mm-hmm. And uh, he still hasn't resigned from his position as state rep from his district. Yeah. You know, and uh, which, you know, baffled some. But, uh, uh, but no, I think that uh, it's kind of like the, uh, the in, in Illinois, uh, there's a guy named Madigan that is under lots and lots of, even some of the Democrat uh, cohorts are demanding his resignation. He's also the party chairman mm. of the state. He's the state party chairman, and he's the Speaker of the House of Illinois. And so either one of those two jobs has an incredible amount of power right. and influence. They have both. And I guess they got another utility involved. This Con Edison is uh, someone forwarded this to me to read. They're involved in and feathering somebody's pockets there again that you know you don't want to speculate until someone's actually charged he denies everything but you know and whoever the governor of Illinois was there must be something in the mansions uh governor's mansion water because i think it was like three or four governors in a row went to jail yeah you know yeah they're notorious yeah and so you know this is this is something i think the selection of bob cup you know he's by by all accounts both sides of the aisle he served well in the Senate years ago. He was a very admired justice of the Supreme Court, thoughtful in his decision making, and uh, I think he's he's going to be, you know, a remarkable um, speaker. And I think he's kind of just what the doctor ordered for the state of Ohio, something that will lead. Uh, who you know, there's you know, some folks like to live in the gray areas. Yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, Bob Cup's one of those guys that's black, it's white, it's right, it's wrong. There's nothing in between. And so that's what you need. When you're when you're leading at the state level, you need that kind of a mindset, right and wrong. And there's, yeah. there's nothing in between. Steady hand at the wheel, going to listen to experts. I mean, that stuff's in, in rare rare commodity these days. Um, what, um, what did you do before becoming a state representative? Well, um, when I was in college, my part-time job was selling tickets at the Cleveland Indians and Cleveland Browns and public college. Turned out that's a union job. And, uh, you know, after a year, they let me go in and join the union, um, which they hadn't let me in. For, they used to charge like $2 a shift to call the permit. They permit you to be a member for a day. And uh, uh-huh. um, I had uh, called every mister. I think Mr. Gallagher, appreciate Mr. Jaffe. Yes, sir. No, sir. And whatever. And, it was just the way you were raised, and after a year, they said, we're going to let you join. And we haven't let you be new in the union. Seven and a half years, they were, they were doing better with discharging the permit fees. Right. And uh, the gentleman who my, was my best friend's dad who had gotten me the job, and so he came to me and said, they're going to let you in. I said, well, that's wonderful. He said, it's a $1,000 initiation fee, 1973. Whoa. I said, Mr. Malone, $1,000. I said, that's all the money in the world times two. <laughs> and he said, you're a young guy, you got your whole life ahead of you. Who knows, you might end up with half a dozen kids one day. <laughs> the only thing you missed was the lightning in the back because, as you know, I ended up with half a dozen kids. Yeah. Five girls. Joke, all, bo- all boys except five. You know? <laughs> That's what they got the Irish daughters. But uh, uh, So I was in the union for a few years, and then there was an opening in the executive board. Let's put the college kid on the executive board. And about four years later, the vice president took a job at the Atlanta Falcons, and I was made vice president for about five years. And then that president said he wanted to sell real estate in South Carolina, North Carolina. And so I've been president of the union for about 35 years. And uh, we have 16 contracts. 
You yeah. know, we have, you know, uh, we have the uh, public call, we have the convention, the county new convention center, we have the Indians, we have the Browns, and we have the, you know, Quick and Lone Dream, which is the Cavs, we have Blossom, we have the Cleveland Orchestra, we have others that I'm not thinking about. We have about 40-some jobs at the uh, Rock Casino, we have, uh, we have, um, uh, like 25 jobs at the Jack, and it's a con- you know, a contract we have with the Teamsters, the Steelworkers, and the UAW. It's like a, the only time I'm involved with a contract that you sign off at four different unions. So trying to get four unions to agree to something is a little challenge. Yeah, My younger sounds brother, bad. <laughs> Mike, when the Cleveland Browns offered me a full-time job many years ago, I said, you know, I would be good, but my little brother, Michael, would be sensational. He worked for the Browns for 32 years. Yeah. And uh, he was the only guy that the Lerner family brought back from the Modell regime, hmm. you know, and uh, that speaks to Michael's character, but he retired. And then a few years later decided, you must, so now he's, you know, managing the box office over at quick loans. And, uh, you know, clearly my union is getting whacked because, you know, nobody's buying sure. tickets for the shows and things, but the casino guys are still working and the Indians and, uh, and the, uh, Cavs are kept my full-time staff employed, you know, but, uh, you know, the majority of my members have just, you know, not able to work. Right. And that's tough. But, you know, beyond that, you know, I, I got in business with my brother Terry in 1974. And for 24 years, we had an IBM dealership and uh, computer dealership as well. And uh, in 1998, his uh, wife of 32 years decided she didn't want to be his wife anymore. And she wanted cash out. So the business had to be sold. And so I've been at Blue Technology as a marketing consultant uh, for, um, uh, well, probably 22 years November. And uh, I remember going to Paul Hanna and saying, hey, do you like me to run for political office? What do you think? They tell me I'm going to be in Columbus two days a week. And that's what they told me. A whole lot closer to three than two. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, he said, is this something you want to try? And I said, well, yeah, I, I think I would. This is right after 9-11. And I was 48 too old to join the Army, and nobody would take me. But I really didn't know there would be a you know, 9-12 or 10-11. And I didn't know what was coming next. And you know, they had asked me in July, and I told the people from the that were asking me. I said, "There's not a chance." I said, "I've got six kids and you know two jobs already. I don't need this." And uh, eh, it turned out, you know, and, and when we ran, I was literally in the race for 110 days before somebody let me know that a Republican had never won the seat. You huh. know, and uh, I went to the guys that, and I put one of them up, literally almost up against the wall. But yeah, big smile goes, "Somebody's got to be first. You know. And, <laughs> And that first race was kind of that was kind of close. It was fifty three forty seven, and since that time, we've enjoyed uh, significant margins of victory because we do get you know all the labor support, and I'm so um, honored you know to be you know mm-hmm. and you know a lot of your members that employ you know the the, the trades as an example yep. appreciate you know the work that we've done. You know, it used to be that the Republicans wanted nothing to do with, with labor, and I can, was able to convince, especially in the leadership role, that, hey, you know, these are business people. These are gentlemen that are making, you know, good money mm-hmm. and sending their kids to school. And, you know, we don't have to sacrifice this to the opposing party. Just, I'll just give them up, you right. know, and we can fight for their votes, too. And it's been a wonderful uh, situation has developed, especially you know, at the state, you know, level with the state building trades. And, uh, they say, we always look and say, because, you know, the problem too many parents have is the idea that they think if their kids don't go to college, they're a, they're a failure. Right. But you kind of know by like ninth grade, 10th grade, you know, the junior 
you know, he's he's not a math major, and he's and he's has he's having trouble getting a composition put together. Mm-hmm. But yet, he could take a cuckoo clock apart and put it back together again. He's great with his hands. Yeah. You know, we need to get these kids into the trade. We need school. those. We need those kids. Yeah, and uh, you know, so that they have a head start. You know, I have a young man whose mother was a friend, and she said. He, you know, he struggled to get his fees. He hates schools. He has no intention of going to college. And I said, well, you know, let's see what we can do. And I had a friend at the sheet metal workers. And so, yeah, we're looking. And we got him in a class. And, you know, he became a journeyman. Before his journeyman status, they were so busy. He was running two jobs in Columbus in his, like, fifth year. And, you know, right now he's got a home, two-and-a-half-acre lot in uh, Brunswick Hills. He's got a boat. He's got his work truck. He's got a motorcycle. He's got, I always tease him, he's got more guns than some third world country. So he's a gun collector. <laughs> you know? But I think he kind of borrows. I think he, I thought he has a lot. I just think he goes, you know, upgrades or whatever. But sure. the point is, at 26, 27, he's got the world on a string. Yeah. And I know he made six figures last year. I don't, I didn't see the W2, but I mean, you know, and that's a damn good job. And right. He likes what he's doing, you know, and, it's just a connection. It's just the idea of taking the plug and stick it in the socket. You know, now he could have gone to college for a year, maybe even a year and a half, and run up forty thousand dollars with a student loan debt. Mm. Now, that, now he comes back home. He's got no skills at all. He's working at Walmart, you know, right. or right. you know, and right. looking for a job because he's got nothing. You know, so you know, this is you know the idea of connecting that group of you know young men and women, you know, to a trade, to a craft, you know that. Uh, uh, I I tell people and they they keep calling me the ticket takers union and I always object that anybody could take a ticket. <laughs> if you're talking about selling tickets, you got to understand the computer system. You have to understand how to handle money, how to make change. Right. You have to understand how to you know. I mean, there's a lot more to selling a ticket than just pushing a button. You know, and uh, you know it's 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 like any other craft. You know, and uh, um, but I, to, it, it, I have because. Inevitably, though, yeah, you're the ticket. You're the ticket takers union. No, we are the. We're called actually the treasurers and ticket those because in the old days, the box office manager was referred to as the head treasurer. Okay. Yeah, and then the first assistant treasurer, the second assistant treasurer. That's how the things. I still have contacts that are so old that they still have the same verbiage in it. They're yeah. Serious. So it was around the country. We're part of IATSE. I always tell people if you watch the film credits. You know, after the actors are done, you know, the, the, about 90% of the rest of the names you're going to see are members of IAPSI. Okay. You know, the actual stage employees union. And uh, you'll see that little five prong symbol at the end to ensure it was a movie made in America, made, you know, by you know, by union craft employees. And uh, we're called the front of the house people because we sell the tickets that people go in and watch the, the shows that these guys put on. And, uh, you know, so. Well, let me ask you about. Um about why you chose to run as a Republican instead of a Democrat, because you're one of nine children, um, police, uh, police family. Your father was a police officer, right? Right. My dad was a Cleveland detective. And, uh, and you sacrificed but, your, you know, you had a son lost as a police officer, serve, serve, serving his community, protecting and serving. And, um, you know, that was true. Um, and, but, you know, that's what he, he wanted to do. He was a good policeman, and uh, he was the only boy, so that, you know, and his father, his father and son still, we had a, a real close relationship. We spoke two, three times a day. But, you know, I think that uh, when I was asked to run, you know, you're, you're, you generally tend to follow your father's politics, you know. And 
Uh, I mean, I was the law and order. The the true pressing point is I was a Roman Catholic. My wife died at 29, and I had all these kids. Mm. And yet I worked two jobs so I could send them to Catholic school. I wanted the, you know, the the fourth, you know, they talk about the three R's. I wanted that fourth R, you know, the religion, you know, rewrite arithmetic and religious, but some kind of religious foundation. I thought especially absent having their mom not around. And so, um, you know, and the, one of the tenets of that, of course, I'm pro, I'm pro life. Yeah. I have, you know, I mean, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I, I believe obviously people say, what's your position? I said, I had six kids. What's your next question? You know, <laughs> that's just, but, uh, uh, and then I was also at that time, you know, the, the Catholic church, one of the sacraments was, was marriage and right. marriage defined man and woman. So those are the two things when I talked to the Democrats, I, I did talk to, you know, some of their leading people around town. And I said, where, where would I have to, because they actually wanted to talk to me mm. and the would I have to be on these two issues. And I said, well, you know, we're pro-choice and we're for gay marriage. And I said, for all those years, I used to tell my kids, we're going to mass. Come on, let's go, let's go. The bus is leaving. Let's go hustle, hustle. I would take them to church, but it's because it was more convenient for me to be a Democrat and then take away those ideals or those thoughts. I would give up, you know, it it would have been a whole lot easier to get elected as a Democrat in Mm. my district, Mm. you know, you know, but now as it turns out, as I say, people know who I am and they know what, what I stand for. And as I say, I crossed the aisle whole lot easier than a lot of my colleagues probably can you know some of the hard right wing portion of our of our uh, uh practice, you know the ones that want you know right to work unfortunately they're at the minority and mm-hmm. we're able to uh, uh yeah they're able to uh um you know you know i always call them the cave and they all they go to the cave and they all discuss how they want to overthrow the world but you know we just uh you know, I, I've sponsored a lot of bills with Democrats in this last, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the, uh, uh, a bill that we're working on for immunity for oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, employers. And that's, uh, our house bill 606. And, uh, a lot of small companies are afraid to open up because of the COVID, you know, because no insurance company has offered, whether it's IBM or Joe's meat market, nobody has any kind of a pandemic or, uh, insurance. And so, right. uh, you know, you bring your, six employees back and one of the employees gets it from another employee who goes home, gives it to his mother. The mother dies. Now he got a wrongful death case, you know, that's being brought against and nobody's going to be able to. So we felt and candidly, Bridget Kelly, you know, who's a Democrat out of the Cincinnati area. She and I sponsored something for the frontline workers. Remember the, the grocery clerks that had to go to work and, right. and this before they had the plexiglass and all the other stuff. Right. And even still that they're still handling dirty money, but it only went to the end of the year. Somebody else had done, had previously done something for police, fire and first responders that they're picking up a COVID patient, taking them to the hospital and the ER run right. as an example. I mean, they're exposed. And so we felt that they should be excluded, but candidly, you know, you needed 66 votes to get an emergency clause, which means the vote would go automatically once the governor, before he even put the pen down. Yeah. The moment he signed it, it's law. And then the Senate, you know, for their reasons, bowed to the, the wishes of the Chamber of Commerce, the state, and they pulled it out. And uh, so, you know, but the reason we got this over 66 votes in the, in the House was because, you know, those two amendments that we put in that satisfied the Democrats' desire to do so. And I helped do it. Mm-hmm. I worked with them on it, and uh, 
so now, you know, if it comes back from this, and it has come back, but we're not in session yet, you know, because, you know, you took off July and we're going back to September. Right. Uh, you know, we had an emergency session to vote the speaker out last week, but uh, um, that's a bill that's critical and has to get done. So will this protect uh, construction companies as well? Yes, absolutely. Well, as absolutely. you know, we, we're, we've been working the whole time. We never stopped working as an industry, even though a lot of jobs were shut down. But a lot of jobs kept going. And um, you know, I think the essential, the essential workers that were required to work, um, I'd have to verify that to make sure that that is how the bill reads. Regardless, the bill's got to be modified, mollified or whatever to make sure that the Senate will approve, um, you know, but, you know, we felt that, you know, those folks, and I guess, you know, there's a number of people that were considered essential. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, so yeah, they, if not, it, it's something that they should be because when people say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this, you go to the hospital, you're on, you've got a $2,500 copayment that's on you. And if you've only gotten so many sick days a year, that's on you, mm. you know. And if you don't have enough sick days, that's on you. Whereas if it's a if it's a workers' comp case because this affected you while you were working, the hospitals are covered, the sick time is covered, mm. you know, and all and your medications are covered. It's a world of difference. So right. that's that's what's critical. Nor should it be the responsibility of the employer, you know, to feel bad about it. And sure. but then worry about getting sued, right? I mean, how careful you are, you know, and you know, it's just this is a crazy disease. Yeah, nobody, know? nobody was getting straight advice, and nobody even knew what to, advice to give early on. No, no, they they certainly didn't, and uh, I think that uh, that's something that we'll clean up in September. Also, that we had. Uh, and Senate Bill 156 came over to our Criminal Justice Committee, and I think that was something that you guys had come down to testify in the synthetic urine. Yes, it was. Uh, you know, and so, uh, uh, and I think that, I don't think we should have a problem getting that done through Lane Duck. Great. And getting so passed out. I haven't heard anybody really, uh, you know, objecting to the bill, at least, you know, from the caucus standpoint. Yeah, just for our listeners, that's um, that's the bill that would prohibit defrauding drug tests through synthetic urine and, and fake uh, paraphernalia related to that. Yeah, and I know that, uh, uh, you know, we have that prompt pay bill uh, yes. that Representative uh, Sweeney and, uh, and I can't remember who brought it forward with it. was a joint sponsor on it. But that's, uh, that's something that's been a problem in your industry, you know, for a while, making right. sure that the paid. That's a big you know, barrier to small businesses getting a start. Yeah, it is. And it's, uh, some of the bigger guys sit back and hold the money, refuse to pay. And, you know, just because they know they can't, then mm-hmm. they start negotiating as well. I know I owe you a hundred. How about I pay a 60? We call it good. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And, and we, and you and I both know that happens. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so we're hopeful that that bill will, We'll be able to get out. And finally, first I got you. If I want to talk to you about this public-private partnership bill that um, P3, I did the P3 bill for ODET several years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, they were looking at some massive projects. House that, Bill 218, uh, right? Yes, and uh, um, and these projects were, uh, you know, that ODET didn't have enough money for the project, mm-hmm. but if someone was willing to build the project and then kind of lease it back to them 
they could pay for it over 20 years. At the end of 20 years, they owned the project, and but it had to be turned back over and in as good of condition, you know, just like it was. And so, and I don't think they used it but a handful of times, but it was a necessary tool in the toolbox for some real big construction bridge projects and things like that. And okay. so we were approached by some folks. They said, that worked well. What do you think about public-private partnerships for local governments, for libraries, to build the library? They were trying to save up for the library, you know, mm-hmm. or a new city hall or a new rec center. And they, they just don't have it. will take them years to do it. But if they have a, 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 a partnership, same thing, though, you know, instead of building one for $20 million, you know, they'll pay, you know, a payment for 30 years, 29 years. And uh, at the end, they inherit it. The one thing we made sure was put into it just to allay the fears of a lot of the folks is made sure that at all times, as long as the, the government is part of that partnership, prevailing wage must apply right. to maintenance and to all the other stuff that they have to bring in a air conditioning, replace an air conditioning system after 15 years mm-hmm. that's done utilize the prevailing wage and that's something that you can imagine with my background that I insisted on you know that uh, that would be spoken to and addressed very clearly in the bill uh, but again I mean instead of waiting 15 years to build your gymnasium or you've got a library that's falling apart that's been around since 1890 mm-hmm. you know you build a new one you don't have the money to build it but you have enough money that you can over 29 years pay the person back you know I'm trying to think of the um uh, Johnson, the Johnson, the air handling people, Johnson controls. Uh, Johnson controls is really big into trying to to become one of the like they're the ones that their lobbyists approached me about the bill, and I guess they've had some great success in other states in doing these kind of projects. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to make sure that I'm sure that the, their Johnson controls are put in the building. That's their right. That's their their interest, but. You know, if, if it helps, if, if the price is right, and I underscore that again, if the price is right, they're building it to the local government, you know, specifications, so they're not, you know, going to build a crappy building, they're going to build what they wanted, right. but they hoped to build on their own, but they couldn't, so this public-private partnership kind of, uh, you know, settles the score, so to speak. So oh, That's great. Uh, yeah, I think, again, I think that's something that uh, we're, we're always looking for projects, aren't we? You know, keep uh, right. your mem- your members, uh, uh, your contractors working, and uh, hopefully this is, uh, if it turns out, it'll be something that can be a boost, can be a spark for some th- projects that are kind of on the shelf. We don't have a qu- quite enough money to do it, but this thing might be an attractive option, and that's all that it is. It's, it's, again, this isn't law that everybody has to use it. It's something they hopefully, if it passes, can utilize. Right. So if, if it makes sense on everybody's uh, front. Well, I, I notice also you've been a, a longtime advocate of telemedicine and um, and promoting that even even before the virus. Is that isn't that right? Yes, matter of fact, uh, we finally took me three years. The Cleveland Clinic had approached me about trying to get the telemedicine bill through, and it, it shouldn't have taken me three years, but it did. We got it done actually a year ago, June, long before this pandemic started. But can you imagine the circumstance we'd be in? If doctors didn't have this authority, like for example, nursing homes, they just take the computer in and the laptop in, and the doctor's able to eyeball the patient and ask questions, and it's a virtual visit. And uh, they just go from room to room to room with this, you know, with this laptop. And mm-hmm. 
uh, or just anybody that says, you know what, I don't want to go see my doctor and doctor's office. I used to think when my kids were little and I'd take them to the pediatrician and I was charged with that, you know, and even playing with the toys, I was like, we'd put that down. Please, put, you know, the, the, the pediatrician had a bunch of, like, toys. I'm like, right. <laughs> some other sick kid just played with them. Yeah. This yeah. is pre-pandemic, but I just, you know. But you go to the doctor's office with your kids and, think, and it's always packed. And you sit with a bunch of room with a bunch of sick kids, and uh, um, you just whether you're going in for strep throat, but somebody else might be there with the virus or something else. So, any time you can avoid being around other sick people is a good thing. And so, I was delighted that it turns out the pandemic, the telemedicine bill has really been utilized and and greatly appreciated. You know, I there's you know the film tax credit bill I did that helped bring the movies in. For every dollar in film tax credit, we were getting two dollars and three cents back. Mm-hmm. So the state did the study on it, and uh, so that's been a, a, a big thing. Put a lot of you know people to work. A lot of local manufacturers keeps the local four thirty six gets a ton of work out mm-hmm. of that bill. Um, you know, we did the county land bank bill, and we used Cuyahoga County as a test pilot on it. Now it's in. Uh, 61 counties. It's also being replicated in 14 states. It was a 360-page bill, and every two years we have to go back and tweak it somehow. Gus Frangos, who kind of runs it, um, you know. But uh, there's always something making the transition. And but we're saving neighborhoods. Right. You can, it's like triage. You can't save every neighborhood. 30 houses on the street and 15 of them are, are abandoned or broken down. You're not going to save that neighborhood. But on the 30 house street, where four houses are abandoned knocked down. You could you could either repair those houses, knock the houses down, and you still got twenty six houses being lived in in what looks like a good neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I remember when we produced the bill, you know, street over in Broadway and councilman uh uh the councilman from the uh, Broadway area uh, his name escapes me, I apologize. But uh you pick a neighborhood where virtually every house in the street was either knocked down boarded up except for this older couple that lived in the house all by themselves. And they said if they wanted to get out, mm. if they wanted, how could they? They were trapped. Right. You know, in that street. And, you know, I'm proud of the land bank bill. We did the third frontier way back in 2003. It was a, a big thing for, you know, business, uh, you know, generators to kind of get things, you know, from, you know, the laboratory into a factory, start making stuff. And, uh, you know, I mean, I can go on and on, you know, yeah. but you're, you're Columbus for 18 years, damn it, you better do some stuff. Right. And there's still things they want to finish. You know, we got the firefighter presumptive cancer bill done. Right. It was my bill I fought for 10 years to get it done. And, uh, you know, sadly now all the cities are fighting. Yeah. Because they want their work with cop rate to go up. Right. But yet, in the fairness of the cities, they didn't know that the firemen were being exposed to these carcinogenics at the level that they were. But now that they know it, yeah. I mean, we should be the 31st state to do it. We end up being the 38th state to mm-hmm. do it. But now, uh, we actually named the bill after this Captain um, Mike Colombo, and it was two years and two months after his death before he his, his widow, you know, five kids, and uh, finally got the uh, uh, she had been given the award, but the city fought it, and mm-hmm. they fought it, fought it, and they finally went to the final thing. I mean, she wins, and you know, the city but tragically, this you know, the, the, the mayor called the fire chief and said, just tell the guys that just we know raised for a long time now. Wow. Which is, so so how do you counteract that? You come up with a bill that says the cities won't be will be held harmless as far as the workers' comp rate goes. 
Right. Because this is something they really didn't know about. Why should they really be punished? And we have a little bit of an excess in workers' camp. And I've talked to the workers' camp director, and she's a nice lady, Stephanie, and um, Cloud. She's, uh, you know, and she's, you know, but she said, okay, this is fine for now, but eventually now they know about it. Mm-hmm. So we'll come up with some kind of a, like five safety things that they could do, you know, and they have five years to do them. You know, whether it's a second set of breakout gear or they take the hoses that, you know, attach a hose to the exhaust while they're running in the, inside the house and blow them outside so they're not sucking up that air. And, right. and you know, two or three other things that we know will make the, the firefighter safer. And if certain fire departments comply with all five, then they're completely covered. They comply with half, then they're half covered. If right. they comply with none of them, they won't be covered. But that'll be down a little bit for the immediate thing now. They're coming up with excuses, Tim, like, well, your mother had breast cancer, so you're predisposed to get oh, no. cancer that firemen. It's, it's, uh, like this, this one brain cancer that they get. It's, uh, it's a rare, rare, rare brain cancer. But I had firemen in, uh, Cleveland Heights and in, um, Beachwood and in Willoughby. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, boom. All three of these get a disease that affects one to 600,000 people or something wow. like that. Wow. You know, and it's but it's one that the studies have shown. These are studies that are done by, by, uh, by Mayo Clinic. Mm. It's been done by Johns Hopkins, our own University of Cincinnati. You know, Stanford did a study, and they all lock in to twelve cancers out of the forty some cancers. These, especially these six, but these other six are just as likely. The firemen are going to get these six, and there's mm. if their smokers are out. You know, right. That right. I think we had to put in there. If their smokers, they can't. But if you don't smoke for seven years, just like an insurance company, you're mm-hmm. not smoking after seven years. Right. So if you smoke for seven years, it should be held against them. You know, so, you know, we count on our firemen to come to our aid, you know, when we're, we're trapped or in a fire and things like that. You know, why would we want them, you know, and it, it's at like a 64% rate that they get cancer. Right. And that's right. people's minds, I said. And, that, you know, I often said, well, why would they take the job? Because they're all wrong. I say, I'm going to go into the 36%. I'm going to be the 36% that doesn't get it, you know. Mm-hmm. But we just want to make sure that uh, uh, Tim Kling, Lieutenant Tim Kling, his daughter Betsy Kling, is a, we worked together for four years before I knew it was Betsy's dad. Because he was from Akron and she mm-hmm. was the king of meteorologists. I just put, put two and two together. So one day we were at an event together. She said, thanks so much for all you're doing with my dad. But he's the guy that brought it to my attention. Huh. And I made sure when that bill was signed, he stood right behind me, right next to Captain Palumbo, who was still alive at the time, that Governor Kasich signed, signed the bill in the law. It's just that the, the, the effect of having the city fight it just wasn't anticipated. And yeah. so I got to get that fixed. And it, right now, it's, yeah, I don't want to say languishing, but okay. you know, maybe a speaker would have, would have helped it along a little bit more. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, Bob Cup is that guy. And see if we can, I now know it's going to be too hard to get it done in uh, both lame duck, you know, right. and then get it over the Senate. So it's going to be a bill I'm going to have to do next year again. Okay. But it, it took me 10 years to get the firefighter bill done and it's so many years to get, four years to get the, uh, the, uh, the telemedicine bill done, you know. Yeah. Bill should, yeah, I always tell people, bills shouldn't be able to be passed really knowing. There right. should be some, you know, and I appreciate that, you know, but, it, but unless it's my bill, then it should be passed. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, we've always appreciated our relationship with you. You've always been a listening ear in the house and then the Senate now in the back of the house. Um, 
one of our one of our strongest relationships over the years and i think it's um as is coming through in this interview you you have a principled approach pro business pro opportunity but also you're working you're looking out for the the common person and and with that being said why why do you support prevailing wage you know, Ohio State, uh, well, first of all, like I started to say, that you're getting trained people that the state of Ohio is not paying a nickel to train them. They're paying them, you know, they paid themselves, you know, to uh, train the uh, at the different training centers. And that's one of the great things I like to do is take some of my colleagues to tour the training sites, the training mm-hmm. centers that the different uh, uh, unions will have. Uh, so Ohio State University, when Bob Taft, when they had the, uh, the school program, when they were putting $3 million a day into from the tobacco settlement money, they were putting into rebuilding older school buildings, a lot in the rural areas especially. And uh, But he made that decision that that would not be prevailing wage. And Ohio State, after the fact, went in and took a look. And as I say, they're hardly a bastion of labor support. But their, their study, you know, says it all. They said that even though these bids came in under what prevailing wage would be, by the time they added the change orders and had mediocre workers, unskilled trades, and had to go back and had it fixed, they said they spent enormous uh, amount of money, more than they would have had they gone prevailing wage. Hmm. Just that simple. So, And I say that to the members that are against prevailing wage. I'm like, you want it done right the first time? You know, or right. do you want to just go back and, you know, part of these half-assing it? You know, mm-hmm. you just have to, you know, you do it right. You pay a fair wage for the for the great job, and you know both of my Irish grandfathers. One, uh, they all four of my grandparents came from Ireland. Grandpa Colin actually helped start the Operating Engineers Union in Cleveland back when mm. he used to work on boilers. In those days, it wasn't even local eighteen; it was local six thirty something or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Grandpa Patton, my father's dad. He lived to be 93, but 72 years of that, he was pipe fitters 120. Okay. And I always point out that my mom and dad, my dad was born in 1920. My mother's born in 1922. And they both got to graduate high school. And to people, they're like, well, what's the big deal? I said, think about those years. Because almost all of my father's friends had to quit school to go to get some kind of a job. Most of my mother's friends had to quit school to go get a job. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that my mom and dad's families were doing great there my grandmother was taken in borders they were sleeping in the basement she packed her lunches she she washed her clothes and you know but they kept her nose above water and they got to graduate my mom and dad had nine of us nine kids as you mentioned earlier and right. we all got to college you know i all five wow. of my daughters have advanced degrees i have a lawyer i have a uh, teacher with a master i got a phd i've got a you know a daughter that's a pharmacist i mean so mm. you know it's you know, it it kind of the organized labor, and especially with the trades, really kind of help uh, uh, people get get on with a better life. Right. You know, and so um, as I say, and non-union contractors, you know, they might have Joe might be a great electrician. You know, he knows his way in and out. But they see tomorrow, bring your carpenter tools. We're going to need you. And that brother-in-law, you're not working. Bring him. We'll find something for him to do. Right. And I, you know, it. And if if you don't believe that. That's that's not happening out there, you know. It absolutely is happening, you know. And they and, and I think that uh, you know the advantage of being trained and skilled by people that are doing the same thing you're doing. They've been doing it for a long time, mm-hmm. you know. 
is, is you, you can't put a cost on that. It's just, it's, it's priceless. Yeah. That type of training. And so, um, it just, you know, on a personal level, obviously, I mean, I've been affected by it, you know, I've witnessed it and I just totally believe in it. Well, I'm, I think that, uh, just stands a reason that people that have hope that uh, have hope they can raise a family, they can, you know, do well for their kids, put food on the table are going to be better workers than those who, who don't have that kind of stability in their lives. Exactly. They'll do, they, if they'll find, they'll go to work at a steel mill, they'll go work somewhere else. They're making a couple of dollars an hour or more, Right. you know, and, uh, you know, it's, and you don't blame them for doing that. But, uh, as I say, some people are just, you know, good at what they do and they like working with wood carpenters, things like that. But there's so many newer, like roofing, you know, roofing systems. I mean, commercial roofs are now like roofing systems. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not it's just not like, like a house you just go up and you you put the shingles back on or whatever. Right. And, uh, you know, so somebody's got to train these guys. You know, ORCA, the Ohio Roofing Contract Association, they do a great job of trying to make sure the guys are trained, but they're competing against people who have a roofing company whose guys aren't being trained. They're just hiring, and candidly, in some cases, potentially illegals. Right. Go climb up on the roof and do. How are they going to be able to be trained? Right. To put in a commercial roofing system. You know, it's just not shingles on a roof. It's how they handle the water, how they handle this, that, and the other. And it's just, you know, that's just a, another example of something we're trying to get a handle on. You know, making sure that these guys are licensed to be able to work on a commercial roof. Because, sure. and, and that's what the contractors want. They want to be licensed. Please. Yeah. Charge for the license so we make sure we keep the bad actors out. Absolutely. Everybody wins. Well, Representative Patton, I, I certainly appreciate your time. We've been at it for about an hour, and I don't want to keep you all day, but um, we certainly have, appreciate you over the years, or relationship with you, and uh, anything we can do, uh, please give us a call. And, it's, and I know. You guys have been uh, supportive of me and my uh, my humble career, and I, I'm grateful for the support. And uh, uh, I've enjoyed catching up with you today. It's been great. And uh, if anything else comes up, let me know. In the meantime, you know, wear your mask. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Take care. You take care. Have a good day. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.